chapter one of finding a way out an autobiography by robert r moton this librivox recording is in the public domain out of africa about the year seventeen thirty five a fierce battle was waged between two strong tribes on the west coast of africa the chief of one of these tribes was counted among the most powerful of his time this chief overpowered his rival and slaughtered and captured a great number of his band some of the captives escaped others died others still committed suicide till but few were left the victorious chief delivered to his son about a dozen of this forlorn remnant and he with an escort took them away to be sold into slavery the young african pushed his way through the jungle with his bodyguard until he reached the coast arrived there he sold his captives to the captain of an american slave-ship and received his pay in trinkets of various kinds common to the custom of the trade then he was asked to row out in a boat and inspect the wonderful ship he went and with the captain and the crew saw every part of the vessel when it was all over they offered him food and he ate it heartily after that he remembered no more till he woke to find himself in the hold of the ship chained to one of the miserable creatures whom he himself had so recently sold as a slave and the vessel itself was far beyond the sight of land after many days the ship arrived at the shores of america the human cargo was brought to richmond and this african slave merchant was sold along with his captives at public auction in the slave markets of the city he was bought by a tobacco planter and carried to amelia county virginia where he lived to be a very old man this man was my grandmother's great-grandfather according to the story as he told it to my grandmother he brought more at auction than any other member of the party he was a very fine specimen of physical manhood weighing somewhere around two hundred pounds and standing about six feet two inches in height my grandmother said of him that he learned very little of the english language and used that little always with a pronounced foreign accent he never grew to like america or americans white or black and certain days after the passing of so many moons he observed religiously throughout his life these were feast days with certain ceremonies of their own in which when possible two other members of that same party though not of his tribe would join him each understood the tribal language of the others these days so my grandmother said which occurred about three times a year his owner permitted him to take off leaving him undisturbed for at other times he was entirely faithful and conscientious in his work his great-granddaughter my mother's mother was not i should judge very unlike this great-great-great-grandfather of mine for in her youth she was a magnificent type of womanhood both physically and mentally and even to her death at ninety-six years of age she was possessed of remarkable physical and mental vigour she carried the keys on her owner's 
dr craddock's plantation and stood next on the female side of the household to his wife superintending the making of the clothes caring for the children on the plantation and in later years conducting what would in the present day be called a day nursery that is caring for the children of the mothers who were in the field seeing to their food and dress and to their conduct of course frequently these old mothers were very clever in story-telling so that uncle remus burr fox and burr rabbit were familiar to the children of the south both white and black many years before they got into print my father's mother who lived to be one hundred and eight years old was also brought directly from africa and was finally sold to a planter who lived in charlotte county virginia it was there my father was born he was owned by dr alexander of that county and when he died about eighteen fifty and the estate was divided my father was sold to john crowder of prince edward county and i think presented to his wife as a christmas present i have many times heard my father tell of his experiences as a slave of the many hardships through which he passed and of the many good times he had even as a slave for one of the fortunate traits of the negro is his jovial nature his ability to see humour even in adversity and to laugh and sing under almost any circumstances i have often thought that most other races had they gone through the difficulties which the negro faced would have produced much more insanity than has been found in the past among negroes unfortunately however insanity is increasing very much indeed among my people an indication in all probability that they are taking life much more seriously than they have done in the past there were many kind masters during slavery days and there must have been such a thing as kindness even between master and slave the overseers who were generally of the poorer class of white people were as a rule the cause of much of the contention and usually made most of the trouble at least the negroes thought so they were night patrollers or as the negroes called them patter rollers and were paid by the hour in many places to catch and whip any slave found off his master's plantation after nightfall without a pass not infrequently these people received from the master class less consideration even than the slave and in most cases the bitterest animosity and hatred existed between the overseers and the slaves it was not unusual that negroes considered themselves superior in every respect to the overseer class whose members were generally referred to among them as po white trash this expression was the last word in degradation infamy and general contempt that negroes could command even to-day when negroes refer to people as poor white trash it has a meaning all its own and i am of the opinion that much of the ill-feeling between the races in our country to-day had its origin in these unpleasant relations between overseer and slaves before emancipation on the crowder plantation there was an overseer who had a particular dislike for my father probably because he thought that my father received entirely too much consideration from his master and mistress in short there was a kind of jealous rivalry between them 
it is unnecessary to say that the dislike on the part of the overseer was generously reciprocated by my father if there was any difference it was that the hatred on my father's part was the stronger if that were possible and without doubt being in the confidence of his master he used his opportunity to the disadvantage of the overseer it was the rule of the plantation that no slaves except such as the master designated should be whipped by the overseer my father of course was thus exempted on one occasion the overseer unfortunately and against the order of his employer insisted upon whipping my father the scene took place in a tobacco barn where my father was engaged with perhaps fifty other slaves in sorting and stripping tobacco in the scuffle in which several other slaves helped the overseer in response to his call my father easily got the upper hand for he was a man of unusual strength he not only overpowered the overseer but the men who undertook to assist him maiming the overseer and one of the men very seriously this was in the midst of a severe snowstorm my father took the only course as it seemed that was open to obstreperous slaves he took to the woods this was in early december here he remained picking up what food he could at nights in cabins and elsewhere until march when for want of food and sufficient clothing his feet having been frostbitten he was obliged to give in he returned one snowy afternoon slipped into the stable and hid himself in the loft under the hay his hat was discovered by his master's two sons whose conversation which he overheard showed that they were afraid of him they ran to the house and told their father of his return and he came out to the barn and urged him to come to the house and be looked after for the entire family was really very fond of him he was taken back to the house where his mistress the mother of the two boys treated him most kindly indeed he said they all wept over his pitiable condition his feet were finally but only after careful nursing for several months in shape to permit him to resume his usual duties he promised that he would not commit the same offence again provided however no po white trash attempted again to whip him he apologized to the overseer and the two agreed that there would be no further trouble but a few weeks afterward he went to his master and told him he was very sorry it was not possible for him to get along with that overseer and asked that his master sell him to a nearby planter who had agreed to give him better treatment this time it would appear that he and the master came very near the parting of the ways this seems strange i know but it was not infrequent that slaves of the more intelligent type would make definite arrangements with some near or distant planter to buy them thus slaves very often pick their own masters but in this case mr crowder made it plain to him that they could get along that he was unwilling to sell him that he belonged especially to his mistress and that she depended on him my father insisted however that the overseer be discharged whether his attitude in this case produced the desired result my father did not know but in any case within a few weeks the objectionable 
overseer left and a new overseer took his place who established better relations not only as between himself and my father but with the other slaves as well in consequence of which the master got better and more efficient service with very much less friction from that time forward my father lived pleasantly on the crowder plantation neither he nor the master nor the overseer breaking their mutual promise my father's being that he would not fight again unless someone attempted to whip him and the overseer's that he would not attempt to whip him my father used to say that one man could not chastise another although two men might fight and one might get the better of the other that idea was very strong in his mind when the civil war broke out my father went with mrs crowder's brother captain walmuck of cumberland county virginia who was afterward colonel womack into the fray as his body servant i think they would say valet to-day he was with him during the first three years of that bitter struggle suffering all the privations and hardships so familiar to those who know what the southern army endured one experience he used often to relate was that near petersburg he accidentally got within the union lines and was told that he might remain with the yankees if he so desired but he told them that he could not do so at the time because he had given his definite promise that he would stand by colonel womack until the war was over he could not break his promise he had also sworn to see to it so far as he could that no harm came to his master and he felt that he would remain true to that pledge so long as colonel womack was equally true to his promises to him i am told that the friendship between the two men one black one white was very strong that nothing ever separated them save colonel womack's death which as i recall my father's account of it occurred in one of the famous charges near petersburg when the war was over my father hired himself to the crowders where he remained until christmas of eighteen sixty six when he married my mother emily brown they were married in the old plantation house of the hillmans of amelia county the hillmans as i recall were scottish presbyterians and like many other southerners had lost everything during the war except their name and honor and the pride of aristocratic ancestry my mother like her own mother was a woman of very strong character in many ways very much like my father among my early recollections is the fact that my mother frequently after working in the field all day would hurry us through the evening meal in order to get the cabin ready for the night school which met regularly in our simple home i recall now the eagerness with which some twenty-five or thirty men and women struggled with their lessons trying to learn to read and write while i was supposed to be asleep in my trundle bed to which i had been hurried to make room for this little band of anxious aspiring ex-slaves some of whom came as far as six miles in order to take advantage of this rare opportunity which but a few years before had been denied them the teacher of this night school was my mother's brother who in spite of the penalties attached had learned to read and write from his young master picking up here and there snatches of information while they played and worked together oft-times without the young master's realizing the gravity of his actions 
all this took place but a few years after the close of the war and before any schools had been established for colored or white children in that section my mother was one of the most enthusiastic of the students while my father who was much older than my mother although giving his unqualified approval and encouragement to the school sat by and listened and once in a while in a mischievous mood threw in an ejaculation which upset the order and dignity of the school much to the embarrassment and annoyance of the teacher and i fear sometimes to the indignation of the more serious-minded students especially my mother thinking of the experiences through which my ancestors passed along with thousands of other slaves in their contact with the white people of america i have often felt that somehow in spite of the hardships and oppression which they suffered that in the providence of god the negro when all is summed up dispassionately has come through the ordeal with much to his credit and with a great many advantages over his condition when he entered the relationship the white man on the other hand has reaped certain disadvantages from which the whole country still suffers and from which it will probably take several generations to recover completely End of chapter one